Well, hello, Chapel Roswell. Regardless of where you are today, I pray that together we can dig into the Word of God, that God will inspire, God will challenge, and God will give us more depth of how we're called to live our lives as faithful and obedient followers of Jesus. We're talking about David and Goliath, rock star as we call it. We introduced a little bit about the concept last week and today we're going to take a more detailed look at David and the way he fought the mighty Goliath. David, that true underdog, or was he? We're going to find out. First, we're going to take you to Scripture, the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, one of the longest chapters we find in Scripture. Right now, let's dig in. Chapter 17, we're going to kind of cut and paste a little bit through some of this passage. It's a long one. We're going to pick it up, though, at verse 33. Saul replied, he was talking about the people who were calling him to fight the mighty Goliath. Actually, they didn't want him to fight because Goliath was mighty. David was far from it, but David stepped forward. King Saul, he said to David, okay, David, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And Goliath, this guy, he's been a warrior from his youth. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on David and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. David said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Goliath was a Philistine, one of the, the biggest rivals, you could say, of the Israelites during that time. They were constantly trying to harass and defeat and kill the Israelites. Pick it up in verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Goliath looked David over and he saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health, and he was handsome and he despised him. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, to meet Goliath. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, David slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into Goliath's forehead and he fell face down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. <clears throat> Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Well, last week we jumped into the story of David and Goliath. It's a well-known story that has made its way into popular lexicon. And we know certainly in sports, you talk about David and Goliath. Okay, David is the, the vast underdog. And, and yet sometimes David can beat the, the mighty Top dog, I guess you could say, the underdog versus the top dog. We talked about that last week, and, and that's what we find in the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that takes us back about 3,000 years, but we'll get to that in a moment. One of the things, though, that we find in the Old Testament, especially when the Israelites are battling someone else, we, we find a lot of violence, honestly. We find a lot of bloodshed, and people often ask, Okay, Joe, why is there so much violence? If, if Jesus was talking about peace and mercy and grace and love, why is there so much bloodshed primarily in the Old Testament? Well, let me kind of answer that question. 
Very often we look at things on the, the face value and we don't really dig into uh, the surface, underneath the surface rather, to, to find maybe some of the context in which we're trying to, to find things. Most of the violence, like I said, in the Old Testament, it takes place, revolves around Canaan, the, the promised land. Genesis 12, going back to the beginning, it tells us that the Israelites lived in Canaan for hundreds of years before they left to go to Egypt. And so they weren't these outsiders trying to steal land from someone else. When the Israelites were led back by God, back to the land of Canaan, Canaan by that time was a lawless place. It was inhabited by a variety of people, the Amorites and the Canaanites and a vast other array of, of people who were bloodthirsty and wanting to drive the Israelites back. It was a brutal place. Canaan had been ruled by a lot of evil dictators. The Egyptians then came in, made slaves out of the people there. Canaan was unstable. It was unsteady. It was a war zone. It was a dark, violent, and brutal bloody place. But when the Israelites arrived, they actually represented the arrival of order and of peace. They had no professional army. They were a relatively small ragtag group of people. The Israelites were outnumbered. They were outweaponed. They were outmanned. They weren't these bloodthirsty soldiers, but rather they were a coalition of tribes, again, a misfit group of people on the surface who needed divine intervention every step of the way. The other warlike nations would place their faith in their uh, military might or their weaponry, but the Israelites simply had to rely on the power and the presence of Yahweh, God. They were poorly armed, they were ill-equipped. Without the backing of God, they would have been defeated quite easily. So the violence of the Old Testament really looks tame when you compare it to the context of that time. Jesus obviously was knowledgeable of all that violence and the bloodshed of the Old Testament, and he never spoke out against it. And am I a stronger moral compass than Jesus was? Well, no. And so Jesus understood the context of how things were back in that culture. Now, let's jump back ahead to the story of David and Goliath at the heart of ancient Palestine was a region known as Shephelah. It was a series of ridges and valleys that stood kind of between the Mediterranean Sea and the highlands of more of the inland part of Israel. It's a beautiful land. It's one of strategic importance. Why? It's been fought over by countless groups of people over countless generations. Why? Because it offers a clear path from the Mediterranean Sea to Jerusalem and the other cities in the highlands. And in the midst of that, you have the Valley of Elam. It was the site of numerous battles, numerous conquests, and contests. And in our passage this morning, it's where the fledgling kingdom of Israel is coming up to the attacking Philistines who are coming up to try to beat back and defeat the Israelites. So let me take you now to the year 1026 B.C., the Philistines, they were coastal people from the island of Crete, uh, but they were coming in. They were no longer seafaring people because they were trying to defeat the Israelites on an inland area. Their goal was to capture the mountain ridge kind of surrounding the Israelites. And if they did that, they were able to kind of cut into the Israelite nation, one half on one side, half on the other. 
the Philistines, they were battle-tested, they were mighty, they were warlike, they were the sworn enemies of the Israelites. Now, King Saul was the leader of the Israelites. He was alarmed by the advancing of the Philistines, and so he hastened down. They, they hunkered down, waiting to see who was going to make the first move. Uh, the Valley of Elah in the middle, this, this highly contested plot of land, the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other. Who was going to make the first move? Nobody wanted to make that first move. Now, as we mentioned last week, when we think of war, we think of a battle, we think of two sides duking it out, a lot of bloodshed until one side is either totally killed or defeated or run back. But what we find in many cases during this era, during this context, is what we call single combat. That's where one nation would send out their bravest, mightiest warrior. The other side would do the same thing. They would duke it out. And that's what we find in this story. Goliath, this champion, he was called. In fact, twice he's referred to as the champion. He would go out and for 40 days he would taunt the Israelites saying, oh, come and get me. If you defeat me, my Philistine nation, we will become your servants. We will become your subjects. But Goliath would add, if I defeat your strongest, your best man, then you guys become our subjects. And so that's where we find ourselves. Okay, so Goliath is stepping forward. The Israelites, they have to figure out, okay, is anybody, do we have anybody that can step forward to battle this mighty giant? In the Israelite camp, nobody moved. The scripture says they were petrified. They were terrified. But then David, he was a little shepherd boy coming down from Bethlehem to really find food for his brothers. And King Saul said, you know, David, why do you want to rush out there? David said, look, nobody else is stepping forward to face this mighty Philistine. So you know what? I'm going to do it. King Saul didn't like that. You can't go against the Philistine to do battle with him, says Saul. You're just a boy. He is a man from his youth. In other words, he's been fighting for a long time. He is brave and he is mighty. But David was adamant. He had faced more ferocious enemies when he was a shepherd, when lions or other animals would come and try to steal his sheep, or maybe other people. They would come to try to steal the sheep and David would fend them off. David would fight them off. Saul had no other alternative. Okay, David, you want to go do this, go do it. Now, here's something really important to remember when we talk about the story of David and Goliath. In that day and age, you basically had three types of battles, three types of warriors. The first, cavalry. These armed men on horseback, or maybe they were in chariots, okay? So the cavalry. Number two, infantry, foot soldiers who were wearing this thick, heavy armor, and they would do this hand-to-hand -hand combat. Okay, so the cavalry, now the infantry, and third, you had these guys called the projectile warriors. We might think of it now as guys who were fighting with artillery. There were these archers, they were these slingers, David was, we'll talk more about that in a second. And these slingers, they had these leather pouches connected to these long ropes. So they would put a rock or maybe a lead ball into this sling and they would wrap it around and they would sling it ever so quickly and they would shoot this projectile onto their enemy. So you've got cavalry, you've got infantry, and you've got projectile warriors. Goliath, 
true infantry. He was expecting to fight someone else who was also infantry, somebody stepping forward to take part in hand-to-hand combat. It never occurred to Goliath that the battle that he would wage would be fought in anything other than that infantry. But here David steps forward and he has nothing but a sling. To protect himself, Goliath was fitted with all of this armor. He even had a couple of weapons. He even had someone who would, would carry a sword and, and, a, and a, a shield, and he would go in front of Goliath, kind of paving the way. The problem is, for Goliath, all of that armor weighed well over 100 pounds. It was hard to be nimble. It was hard to move around with all of that stuff. And then David steps forward. King Saul tries to give David a sword and armor so at least David in Saul's eyes would have a fighting chance. But David refuses. He says in scripture, I can't walk in these for I'm unused to them. Instead, David reaches down into the stream. He picks up a handful of smooth stones. He puts them in his leather bag and he descends into the valley with no weapon other than his sling and his shepherd's staff. Goliath looks at this boy coming and, and, and is thinking, my goodness, is this the best you got? I'm almost insulted, Goliath thinks, that, that here's this guy coming against me. I'm mighty. He's a little shepherd, the lowliest of vocations, and he's expecting to fight me. But friends, what happens next is the subject of myths, a subject of legends. David puts one of his stones into his sling and he aims it right at the forehead, the only really vulnerable showing part of Goliath. Goliath falls, he's stunned, he dies. The underdog somehow defeats the top dog. Wow. But you see, there's more to this story. There's an obvious supernatural claim that the Israelites have. Yeah, God is on their side. Yahweh is giving them the victory. In fact, verse 46 in 1 Samuel 17 says this. David said that he is going to prevail. Why? So that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel. Okay, but let's really quickly go back to the battle itself. What sort of weapon did David use? Many people assume it's some sort of a slingshot, but no, a sling is vastly different than a slingshot. There's a huge difference between the two. David wasn't using a child's toy to go into this heavily fought battle. To the contrary, the the stone in a sling can come out basically with the same speed and velocity and force as that of a 45 caliber handgun. I mean, it is in the hands of a trained professional. It is a mighty, mighty fierce weapon. Scholars say that that when somebody is is using that sling, they spin it around maybe six or seven uh, revolutions per second that a projectile, a rock or a stone or a lead ball can leave that at a speed of about 70 miles an hour. Slinging took a lot of skill. It took a lot of expertise, but in the right hands, it was a deadly weapon. It's what David used to fend off enemies or, or, or thieves who would try to come and steal the sheep or, or maybe animals who would come to attack the sheep. An experienced slinger, though, experts say, could kill or seriously injure someone from as far as 200 yards. I mean, that's the length of two football fields. Can you imagine that? But David was tested with that kind of stuff. He battles Goliath. 
Goliath was big, he was strong, he was heavily armored, but that also was his weakness. He wasn't nimble, he wasn't fast, he wasn't able to charge David or even run away from David. The strength that Goliath had turned out, in fact, to be his weakness. Scripture says that David ran toward Goliath, and Goliath was in a situation he wasn't prepared for, nothing he could do. David strikes, David kills the mighty giant. What do we take from this story? Well, first, we know that God's plans will not be thwarted, no matter how big those obstacles or those giants or those enemies seem to be. Secondly, what the Israelites saw was something that petrified and terrified them. But you know what? God had different plans. God had plans that never would have crossed their mind. They were people, in this case, not of faith, but people of fear. They saw the, the killer giant with his size and his uh, mighty presence as something that they really were not able to take care of. We have worries and we have fears, but do we allow them to overtake us? Do we allow them to become our enemies? Do they control and rule over us? Giants are big. My goodness, they can be big. But God, my goodness, is bigger than those giants. Are we living lives of fear or are we living lives of faith? Finally, despite what we face, God is out in front of us. God will never call us or lead us to a place where his presence is not already there preparing for our arrival. No matter, friends, what you are facing, no matter how big the obstacles or the giants or the warriors in our face, God is out in front of us. It's fair to say that fighting Goliath really wasn't in David's agenda up at least until that moment. It was not something that he had scripted in his life. It's not something that he signed up for or expected or wanted or pursued, but he was obedient to God's call at that moment. God never forces any of us to say yes to him, but David stepped forward because he knew that that's what Yahweh, that's what God called him to do. The giant was huge. Goliath was mighty and powerful and seemingly unable to be defeated. But God is greater than that. If David had to fight Goliath on Goliath's terms, then Goliath probably would have prevailed. David wasn't prepared for that. But instead, David fought in a way that Goliath wasn't expecting. Goliath wasn't used to. David also had God on his side. But also David, you see, went against the expectations of others. Remember, King Saul tried to wrap David in all of this heavy protective armor, but David would have no use for it. It wasn't what the scripture says he was used to. You see, the people, they looked at size. Goliath was mighty and David was not. Goliath was massive and David was not. Goliath was battle-tested and undefeated. He was a champion, the scripture says. David was not. But the heavy armor that Goliath wore, it also made him slow and unable to respond to the speed and the nimble quickness that David possessed. Because David didn't fight according to the expectations of Goliath. David had a massive, a massive um, uh, way to, to, to go fight the fear. He had a massive advantage. You can go against the, 
expectations that others had. How many times, friends, do we do that, though? We focus on trying to meet the expectations of others around us, even if we're not being true to the person that God created us to be. I'll acknowledge that as a pastor, when I look back on my career in the ministry, there are times I've tried to meet the expectations of those around me. And in a church setting, there could be hundreds, maybe even thousands of people with their own objectives, their own desires, their own agendas, their own expectations. I've tried to meet those. And you know what? It wears you out because you can't meet the expectations of everyone around you. How many times do we focus on meeting the expectations of our family or our spouse or our kids or our parents, our boss? And after a while, it wears you out because that's not being true to who God called us to be. On the flip side, maybe we expect others to meet our expectations. We get frustrated or upset if our spouse fails to meet the expectations that we have for him or her. Or maybe our children don't live up to the expectations we have. Unmet expectations from others can lead to bitterness or remorse or anger or frustration. Are we placing our expectations on Others, are we allowing them to be the person that God has called them to be? Are we striving to meet the expectations of others? Or are we being true to the person God created us to be? King Saul had expectations of David. David wanted no part of it. Goliath had expectations of David. David had no part of it. The Israelites, his, his fellow countrymen, they had expectations of David. David had no part of it. But despite the expectations, David was true to who God created him to be and who in that moment was being faithful and obedient to what God was calling him to do. No one expected David to beat Goliath. But was David's victory really that of an underdog? I really don't think so in a lot of ways. Obviously, David had God on his side. We know that. But David also fought the battle in a way that no one was expecting. Friends, how are you fighting those battles in your life? You'll face situations that on the surface seem insurmountable. We'll face challenges that unless God is involved, will fail miserably. Hear that again. We're going to face situations and challenges that without God, they will fail miserably. See, we often see things through the world's eyes, our own eyes, maybe eyes of fear, whereas God wants us to see things through his eyes. Okay, living lives not of fear, but of faith. The Israelites were terrified of Goliath. Even before the battle, they said, there's nothing we can do. We're going to lose to this guy. How many times do we give in and fall victim to those fears or those challenges, those obstacles that we face? I pray, friends, that we don't live lives of fear, but we live lives of faith. How are you doing that? How are you preparing for the battles that we're going to face? Because we will indeed face them. People of faith, people of fear. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you are working in our lives. And we thank you for rescuing us, for redeeming us, for forgiving us, for accepting us. Father God, may your Holy Spirit search us, even in the darkest corner of our lives. May we see the ways in which we need your healing, the ways in which we need your help. 
Father, help us to understand the ways in which you are calling and equipping and enabling and empowering us to battle the giants in our lives. May we seek your strength and not our own. May we seek your courage and not our own. May we seek your hope and not our own. Lord God, help us to recognize those giants so that we can press into you as we face those things that come up in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.